yeah, I feel yeah. bad for my our mailman. <laughs> this guy, I went to get food last night for dinner, pick it up for our family, and the guy was still delivering mail. It was like seven thirty. I was like, bro. <laughs> I be getting Amazon packages at nine o'clock, and I don't feel bad. That that dude is just trying to hustle. It's always I mean, like Amazon's different than like the, yeah. the postal service. I mean, one of our like best family friends. He uh, he was uh, he worked for the U.S. the postal service for like twenty years now. Retired, he got his pension. Now he's in politics in the the, the city. <laughs> that, that job, honestly, when the weather is right, like that's probably a, a, a fantastic job. Just get your head, yo. My the people who deliver my mail always like there was one dude who would always be bumping like hard metal music and you know, they <laughs> like and he like my life in two pieces. <laughs> my last resort, and they like ring my doorbell. Like you got mail, sir. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Without a Roadmap. This is the podcast for product folks who don't know all the answers. My name is Jonas, joined by my co-host, Callie Cam. Callie Cam, that is correct. I have moved back from Boston. I got my new license. I got a car. I'm officially back to being in the best state of California. Might be a little hype there, so I'm not gonna <laughs> don't hold me to that. You seem like a whole new man, I swear. Like a, the Cali Cam is is very different from from Boston Cam. It's much more, uh, definitely much more happiness in his eyes. So yeah, oh, I'm thanks, happy. I, I'm happy for you, man. Well, anyways, uh, besides besides Cam, you know, leaving us on the East Coast uh, to go to the West, um, you know, another thing is coming to an end, and that's the MythBusters series. So this is the last episode. Episode, uh, where we'll be busting some myths and misconceptions that uh, you may or may not have hear, heard about product management. Um, today we got an exciting one just to, you know, kind of round up exactly what we're going to be discussing. Here are the three things. So first off, one thing that we hear often is that PM should stick to their roadmap plan and, you know, try not to deviate from it. Uh, we'll be discussing that. Second off, we'll be discussing the fact that PMs are outcome driven rather than kind of focused on, you know, the entire process. And lastly, um, we were going to talk about whether or not PMs work in silos and kind of, you know, lack collaboration across different teams. And I think that's going to be a, an interesting and hotly debated one. I'm sure it will be. There's a after speaking with a whole bunch of different product and customer teams, um, we have understood the beef between that other folks have with product teams. So hopefully, we're here to to try to um, what's the word? Mediate. Yeah, mediate. Be the therapist in the room. <laughs> <laughs> product therapy <laughs> should have been the name of our podcast. And we can always pivot. We, we don't have a roadmap like the title suggests. So. Nice. Let's see. <laughs> uh, how about we kick off with the first one? PM should only stick to the roadmap and don't deviate. So I think there's there's two things that first come to mind with me is there could be a good reason to not deviate from the roadmap. Say you have a particular vision. I think this is a cool case for actually you to probably take the lead on you on this with how um, Keith did it at Firecracker. So why don't you actually explain um, how that was done there? Maybe we can discuss that. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that kind of slight distinction uh, with the product roadmap at, at Firecracker was that it was, you know, less so a roadmap, more a framework. Uh, I don't know where 
you know, Keith got this from, I actually haven't done much research, but he, he uh, imposed what he called the three horizon framework. And if folks are familiar with it, they could let me know. Otherwise, like, as far as I know, this man uh, devised it himself, which would be impressive. Uh, you know, in, the, in essence, the three horizon framework is a way to break down kind of a product strategy and vision in three different sections, and it's all kind of time bound. So the first horizon is, you know, generally from, you know, the present time to 12 months from now. Um, and those are kind of the near term product strategy, like, you know, goals, you know, what do we need to do in the next 12 months? Uh, horizon two, would be focused on um, you know years one through three, so twelve months to thirty six months, um, and then you know the horizon three, you know hopefully uh, you know for for the startups that make it that far um, is focused on year three through five. So the whole idea is that you're constantly making progress uh, across all three, um, but when you're in a certain horizon, um, you know you might you know focus uh, you know eighty percent of your efforts there or six. 60% and then, you know, kind of divide the other efforts across those uh, other two horizons. And the idea is that uh, you're kind of constantly focusing across all three. So you're working towards your longest term vision goals. But meanwhile, you have a set of priorities that you're, uh, you know, spending the vast majority of your effort on. And, uh, you know, the hope is that, you know, you have a kind of a more coherent um, path towards your long-term vision while also kind of executing on what you need to do in the near term. And that's generally focused around, you know, acquiring customers and kind of getting your, your products to a place where, you know, maybe year one is product market fit, goal to product market fit. Mm -hmm. uh, year two is, you know, growth stage. And then, you know, horizon two is growth stage. Horizon three uh, is, you know, hopefully expansion. scaling expansion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so it was, it was less so, you know, focused on, uh, you know, specifics on a roadmap that needs to be addressed and more so, um, you know, general, you know, general themes that needed to be addressed or specific user needs uh, that needed to be addressed uh, within each, uh, you know, across all three at, and, you know, it would make up a roadmap, but it wasn't, no, it wasn't necessarily a, you know, all right, in the next quarter, we're going to need to focus on these, you know, four sections or four features or four products. It was more so like, how are we doing things that get us, uh, you know, 80% of the way through, you know, some of our H1 goals and 10%, or, you know, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So you I get think, the, yeah, I think the way to relate it kind of back to like um, the topic of PM should only stick to the roadmap. I, from you can correct me if I'm wrong, Jonas, but I think when Keith kind of talked, always talks about how he did the stuff at Firecracker, I think he always mentions how he had a specific vision to reverse engineer the current product because at Firecracker, when he first joined and then after you and the rest of the founders joined, um, there's a product already existing and like the vision was to um, kind of sunset the legacy product and build a new one. So they had to reverse engineer and they had to stick to certain items or like themes that you just mentioned on like the horizon or the roadmap in order to accomplish that vision and the time frame of H1, the horizon one. So I think that's a good example of sometimes um, needing to stick to the roadmap in order to fulfill, fulfill the product vision. Um, no matter what, because that's how you think that's the best direction or how you think that can change the trajectory of the business. Um, another case to say when that's not the best idea is um, say we have the same kind of type of vision or these things you want to get to in XYZ timeframe. 
Um, but at the same time, you're onboarding a whole bunch of new customers and say, for instance, you're onboarding new custom customer personas that you haven't really thought would be using your product. So say you, um, for our case, or just for example, maybe you're only targeting uh, product people, only product managers to use your product. And then all of a sudden you get an influx of customer success personas or salespeople starting to use your product and they are going to have different needs than the product persona. They're probably going to have to adjust um, the things in their roadmap in order to keep those customers happy while at the same time trying to reach towards your vision. So I think um, it's always going to be, it's going to be dependent on the stage of your company, your product, and also um, how you're growing. So if you're starting to grow into other areas without even trying to, you may want to adjust in order to keep those customers happy. So you're reducing churn. And if you try to raise the next round of funding, if you're early stage startup, you have those happy customers to reference um, for your investors. And, you know, another situation might be you have this huge enterprise company and you're a startup and the you want to case, <laughs> yeah, the classic case of them trying to come in and request all these, uh, you know, I mean, customizations, even like more mature companies too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That'll throw you off. That'll throw you off your roadmap for sure. If you're onboarding a, you know, a massive new company and they, that comes with all the customization requests make sure your security is on board. You know, if, if, you know, you're going to have to make a tough decision, uh, you know, mm-hmm. whether or not that it, it, it warrants really kind of changing your, your roadmap and, and altering how you're going to kind of move forward on the product side. Uh, but if it's from a business perspective makes sense, then I think it's totally valuable. Um, you know, you, you just have to, every company is going to have a different perspective on that. And, uh, you know, I think it's short-sighted to, to stick to the roadmap as if you have nothing else, uh, you know, as if, you know, nothing, everything depends on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can see the, like a product person's perspective is you spend all this time like developing the plan for your roadmap for like either the next month, the next two mm-hmm. months, three months. And then like a big whale comes in, um, say like the biggest company, I don't know, it could be like HBO Max, for example, just because I've been watching that heavy recently say they come in they want to purchase your product the contract size is going to be like five million dollars obviously your business is gonna you know drop everything <laughs> yeah yeah like, like, it, like if your contract size is normally around like fifteen thousand, then you get like a whale like hbo max comes in hey we want to purchase you for five million for not purchase you but purchase your software for a poc for five million like of course you're gonna be like yeah we're gonna do whatever you say <laughs> Yeah, you're going to sign them up and you're going to do what you got to do. And, um, you know, I think most people understand that. And Roadmap's helpful, keeps you on track, gives you some guidance. But, uh, you know, yeah, but at the same time, um, you know, I would say that this myth is busted um, and just about every PM knows that ain't ain't nobody following a roadmap to the T. (laughs) Next one. The next one is that PMs are only outcome driven. Um, I think this one is kind of interesting because I think while you have to be outcome driven as a PM or probably in any role you're in um, to try to make sure you're striving towards the right goals, making sure you're moving um, your department, whatever you're responsible for in the right direction. Um, you have to be able to reverse engineer that outcome you want to achieve and take the steps to get there. Like you can't just say you want to, um, accomplish or close 10 deals and all of a sudden you close 10 deals. Like there's a whole bunch of things you have to do to make up that, that outcome. I, I think you can probably speak to that maybe a little bit better, Jonas. Yeah. Uh, I think being outcome driven is like the ideal, you know, as product people, we all like mm. to think that we're, um, you know, data driven and we're making decisions based on, um, 
you know, evidence rather than, you know, conjecture or just a gut feeling. Um, but I think a lot of the, a lot of what we do is, you know, especially at the earlier stages uh, is going to be, you know, driven by gut and, you know, you kind of have to go with the flow uh, and a lot of, you know, really valuable things happen when you fail. Um, you know, yeah, ideally you don't fail, but um, you know, that, that might be a sign that, um, you know, you're doing the wrong thing and it might, it's time to pivot. And so as a, I, I think, you know, only focusing on outcomes rather than the process and a lot of the learnings that come from the process um, is a little short-sighted. So um, outcome-driven, uh, ideally, um, but solely driven by outcomes, uh, not ideal. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a weird statement because you, you see those people like on LinkedIn that are like outcome-driven product managers or outcome-driven XYZ title. Yeah. And it's uh, like, what, what does that really, what does that really mean? <laughs> I feel like everybody wants to achieve some outcome and usually it's the best outcome you can think of, but like, how, how are you actually getting to that outcome is the question I always think of. Mm-hmm. I mean, outcome driven. Yeah. That's, that's one of the, I guess that, is that a buzzword now? I'm, I've I'm seen it a couple of times. It's like data driven, but they're trying to be special. Data driven also is kind of a, a hot topic. I've seen some, some arguments about being a data driven person or for specifically for product managers like pushback against it or yeah and it's like um i've been seeing a lot about how you shouldn't be a data-driven pm it should be um like a combination of um science which is like the data part and art Mm. okay it's like you're not only using like the metrics you see from um, those screen recording tools or like from like full story or from like product yeah, analytics. Analytics. Schools. Yeah. yeah. You're not only using that to like drive product decisions, you're also using like your gut instinct and the skills you pick up as a PM, talking to customers, like reviewing what the, the market is trending towards, what's not in the market, what your customers aren't saying, but you think they need. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's like the combination of both. Right. I was going to say like, listening to customers and like aggregating feedback and making decisions based on that, that's also data. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes like, you know, you don't you know, understanding what your customers need, but they don't tell you that's, that's, exactly. a, that's, okay. that's like the, being, that's like the, the creative feedback. aspect. Yeah, yeah. That's like the art part where like you're they're they're saying something, but like you can kind of sometimes take what they're, they're not saying and the feedback they're giving you and come up with a creative solution that is probably might be better overall. Because mm. hmm. like, like they that. always they always reference like the classic case like if you told somebody back in the day, um, um, like like the whole faster horse thing instead of being a car the the Henry Ford yeah, example yeah, yeah they always for, re- yeah. yeah yeah that's like yeah. The, the example they always use like in those debates like where PMs or product is a combination of both the art and the science. I think everybody says that because that's like the first page of some like product book that I read. And it's like one of those books that everybody reads. Like, <laughs> trying to remember, but it's it, that one gets outplayed. Like, like, can we find can we find another uh, you know like analogy for for like <laughs> Again, make a new why one. for why product managers are you know essential? Yeah, that's right. going yeah, into um, our last one though. The last myth of our four part series is mm-hmm. probably the one. Now we talk to um, a lot with our current customers and like our people we're trying to have purchase our software um, that PMs work in only work in a silo and don't collaborate with other teams. 
So you know, to myself and also all the other folks that probably have talked to like probably hundreds of different customer success managers, people on the sales side, people on the product side, this is about like the current pain points in terms of everyone working together and collaborating. I would say the number one pain point we hear from folks not in the product side is that um, no one has any insight into what the product team is working on or prioritizing or what they're thinking of working on. It's like a black box where you just kind of have feedback for the product team and then they just take it and then you just never know know what happens next yeah. for the most part i won't speak for everybody but for the most part that's the common thing we hear yeah i mean <laughs> by the way we we speak with customer success folks like on the regular and i'd be on the lookout for the product folks listening like they, they say some they say some really uh <laughs> some really harsh stuff uh, about their product team so i would you know keep an eye out <laughs> Watch be your nice back. to your be nice to your customer <laughs> success people. <laughs> yeah. So the the most common thing we hear, like you said, is that there's no transparency, but it's also that uh, product teams are difficult to work with because they have like you know apparently uh, their their priorities are at odds with the customer teams. When you think about a customer success manager, they have customers, and you know they're you know they're judged as a CSM. They're they're ability is judged based on like the customer satisfaction, like whether or not they, their customers renew things of that nature. Whereas a product person, like you're more than happy to, you know, work on any feature or like try and build or fix something that you think is going to have a material impact on the business, but without understanding uh, or without a CSM presenting evidence in a way where they can actually, you know, make sense of the problem and understand the business impact of addressing it. You know, there's, there's, a lot of you know disagreement around what's important so it's like csms like are trying to convince product people of you know that what their customers want is important product person's like hey i need evidence otherwise i'm going to work on this other thing that i think is going to be valuable and it's like you know what do we do next like how do we solve (laughs) this Uh, you get parlor that's that's what you do (laughs) yeah yeah. it's it's like um that uh spider-man meme where it's the both of them and they're pointing (laughs) yeah exactly it's like no i should work on this but then the other person no we should work on that instead but yeah it's all about like trying to really provide more transparency for product people's um, point of view to like everybody else in the company because everyone is either trying to sell sell new customers on the stuff that you're building or for customer success folks is trying to make sure that um, the current customers are having the most success and getting the most value out of the current product and making sure that um, you're building new stuff in order for them to either unlock more value or to reduce any friction that the, your current customers are having um, in their experience. And so I think um, PMs only working in silos. I I would say that um, for this myth to be debunked, I would say that I, there's a, a growing trend in product teams being more transparent with their customer facing folks. I feel like there's um, a big push across most companies where um that the goal is to have um, more features and things on the roadmap be driven by customers, or at least have customers have some input into the things on the roadmap or the things that the product team is prioritizing, just so that customers are happy. And then also the folks that are um, on the front lines in the fire with the customers on a day-to-day basis also have some good news reports to them. It's like, hey, the thing you asked about last week, we're now working on it and it should be available hopefully sometime soon. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of the other teams, I think that it's pretty easy to debunk the, you know, without uh, product and marketing working together, like how are you going to have product announcements? How are you going to have, you know, decently like, you know, written 
updates and, you know, blogs and, you know, without product working with engineering, like how, you know, <laughs> how, how things get built. Yeah, how, sway, <laughs> how. So, you know, I, I think there's- Don't forget I resign, folks. We don't want, we don't want oh, Jonah of course, to, to hold of a grudge against us. I hold them under like product. When I say product folks, you know, designs under there, but um, yeah, but they deserve, they Funny deserve story about, about Jonah. One time uh, I was scheduling like a, a product, a product meeting to review some designs. And uh, I had you and Keith's calendar, like, like on my, on my calendar. So I can just quickly yeah. put time never together. Have, you never need to add Jonah's name, <laughs> like calendar. It's a, it's a book availability. I'm no. always available. <laughs> <laughs> well, what happened, what happened was, is that, um, I only had years two calendars up. And so when I did like the autofill based on like subject select the calendars, it was only the three of us. And so I set the meeting and like the next day came, he sent me a screenshot like, wow, I'm hurt because <laughs> he wasn't included on the meeting. That's, I mean, that was on me. <laughs> yeah, designers aren't in meetings as often as product people. So, you know, that's a, that's a mistake that I think he should you know, look past. We'll uh, bring that feedback to Jonah in our in our meeting tomorrow. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Our offsite, yeah. The camel, camel roll into the room on a on, on a, a Roomba. laptop on wheels. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a that's a good segue uh, out of the out of this series. So, um, first off, thanks to everybody for listening. I hope this was uh, interesting. Um, you know, we've got a new series coming up starting next week. Um, well, we're recording next week. We'll see when it gets posted. It'll be next week or the week after. Uh, and Cam, you want to you wanna intro a little bit about what we're going to talk about on this next series? Sure. So for our next series, um, since we just talked about how um, I'm t- talking about customer success, and that's kind of been a recurring thing throughout this series. Um, always talking about the interaction between product and customer success. We thought the next series we do would be really focused on, on the whole customer success industry as a whole. And so we're going to be taking a deep dive into customer success, what it is, um, what are the, maybe the skills that a CSM needs um, to, to excel in um, that, that role, that function. And then also just going over some, some key topics that we think um, or, or probably just more interesting to us as a product person that customer success really tries to hold themselves accountable for. So mm-hmm. I think the growing trend is like upsells, renewals, the in- daily interactions or weekly interactions with customers in terms of making sure that they're extracted value. Should um, customer success live under product? You know, like we can, we can ask that question as well. Um, and then there's a whole host of other topics we have um, ready to go for that. Um, the cool thing about this next series is that we're going to have guests on for, for majority of the episodes within that series. So we'll be able to ask them and hear directly from a customer success person, their thoughts on the overall industry, and then try to get some, um, some more um, industry insights based on some of the topics we choose from like upsells, renewals, um, how a customer success organization is functioned or how that functioned um, organized in terms of the hierarchy, maybe one of some of the career paths, just for those folks that, um, are in product or the folks that are in product um, to, to learn more about um, the customer success function as a whole. Indeed, indeed. So until then, don't forget to share, like, subscribe, um, tell your mom, tell your dad, tell your dog, anybody. <laughs> what's that? What's that? Uh, that old video? Like, we don't want you to hide your wife. Don't hide your oh, kids. Oh, hide, hide, hide your wife, hide your kids. Do, do the exact opposite, you know? <laughs> 
we gotta we we have metrics uh we have metrics to hit on this podcast so otherwise they're gonna shut us down so <laughs> no i'm kidding we, we do this we do this because we love it <laughs> all right well until then until our next series i hope you guys enjoyed hope you folks enjoyed every episode in the product and cluster series as our first kind of segue into the new show format so we'll be back next time with our first episode in the customer success series till then Peace.